Welcome to Landmark Worship Center's audio podcast. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage your life. So open your heart and mind and receive what God has for you today. Matthew 26, 75. As you're turning there in your Bibles, I would like to ask, and it's good to see the Gray family here with us today. Lord bless them. Good to have them. Amen. Been a lot of roller coaster rides for them, but hey, we're, I know Brother, Brother Will likes roller coasters, I'm sure. <laughs> Sometimes, but uh, God is good. Uh, as you're turning there in Matthew 26, and 75, um, I want to say that we had a tremendous time at, because of the times. Uh, we weren't able to go last year. That's when we got stuck in Jacksonville, Florida, and uh, we went to another conference because they didn't have because of the times last year, and uh, got stuck there uh, on, the, on the beach, sweating profusely while you all were freezing and shivering. Um, but we had a wonderful time, great messages. Thank the Lord for the power of God's Spirit that moved and what a refreshing of the Word. And we're thankful for that. Uh, I do want to say, and there's some things that was kind of speaking to me and my wife, we did have an opportunity to, we flew into um, New Orleans, and let me say it right, it's New Orleans. It's New Orleans. It's not New Orleans, it's Nolens. Uh We flew in there and we drove up to Alexander and we flew back, or drove back, we flew in a car back to Nolens and spent the night there. But we went to, and Nolens is not the, the choice, you know, that's not my favorite city to go to. But they do have a lot of great food there. So we were able to go to some restaurants and, and uh, to uh, be able to eat some sea, good seafood and, and some uh, great food. I mean, it was tremendous. It was tremendous. But here's the thing. As we, uh, we went to a couple of little restaurants there, and of course, I've thought about this before, but when we were there, there was no restaurant that if you wanted to go and have a quiet meal, it was not quiet whatsoever. Everybody was talking. Everybody was conversing. Everybody was connecting there in those restaurants. And I told my wife, I said, if we wanted to find a restaurant down here where you could eat a quiet meal, you're not going to find it in New Orleans. But it just just came to me that as I watched people, I I just noticed that they were just connecting connecting with their friends. They were just talking and having a seemingly a good time. And uh, I know that, you know, there were some pretty rough characters there in New Orleans. It, it, but, but here's the thing. When people come out of the world and come into the church, it is a totally different environment. But... The thing that will keep people walking with God is the power of God's Spirit is far the most important thing. 
But here's another thing that is so vitally important. They left their friends, and some of us, we left their friends that we were with and had seemingly good times with and this and that, and they go into the church, and it is such a change that we need to connect with people. They need to know that we're their friend and we need to connect with them and we need to love them. We need to reach out to them. We need to go out to eat with them. We need to do things with them. That's the work of the church. It just hit me that, you know, we have got to connect with people. I know it's so easy to come to church and connect here, but we've got to take it beyond these walls. Call people up. Take some time. Spend some time with somebody. Let them know we love them. Let them know we're your friend. Let them know we can have fun also. And that's, here's, that's, that's the thing that, that I've always felt is that Pentecost, the flavor of Pentecostal experience, when it really is moving the way God wants it to move through the power of the Spirit, is what people of the world can connect with when they come in. We are not a dead, dry church. Uh, a friend of mine, Brother Tom Tremble, uh, mentioned one time, I don't know, he might have had in one of his songs, that, that uh, uh, he went to look for a car. And this salesman said, this car is such a good car, it is as quiet as your church. And, and Brother Tom Tremble said, boy, I don't want that car. That car is going to be a noisy car if it's as quiet as my church. But you know, that's the thing. We've got, it's so vitally important for us to reach out to one another here, but also to reach beyond us into the point of ministering to people that come in outside. It is such a drastic change. The power of God moves and they're, they're drawn into the moving of the Spirit. But we, as the church body, our purpose also is also to connect with them and encourage them and be a friend to them. Go fishing with them. Go to the mall with them. Go, go out to eat with them. Get a cup of coffee with them. Uh, whatever. Reach out, ministering to the needs. And... Um, because it's such a drastic change. I know how it was when I came to the Lord. It was such a drastic change. But I tell you what my home church did. The young people took me in. And here I was. I didn't, I didn't necessarily look like them. Uh, so there is a black male picture that is going around uh, that my son Micah has that is a picture of me when I was younger. And my hair was going down. If you pulled my hair down, off the curls, it would have went down my back. And um, I came into the church and I thought it was cool to try to um, wear what the only suit that I had with a vest, and vest looked nice, but I had some old saddle Oxford shoes that were pretty well wore out and I had a beaded necklace. Some of you heard about that. I had a beaded necklace around my neck and I thought, this is cool, they're gonna like this. And when I walked into the church, they, they just took me in and said, Hey, Mark, come on, you need to go you need to, go to uh, uh, get a soda with us. The young people just took me in. We need 
uh, we need that connection with everybody. And I'm thankful that they look beyond my my uh, unusual ways. I didn't know how to do things. I, you know, I was, you know, I, I was I was trying to dress like the times. I was a teenager. I uh, but they took me in and they loved me and made me feel like that I was worth something. Well, I didn't feel like I was worth anything. They took me in, and that's the purpose of the church. You know, it's such a drastic change when people come into the church from the world and all of that attention and all of that connection and all of that friendship. And, you know, and it might have been bad connections and bad habits and stuff, but there was a connection. We need to connect with people. Amen. And I think Norlands showed me a whole lot. Thank God for Norlands. Amen. Praise God. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Sister Sherry, it is good to see you today. Lord bless you. We have missed you. You are loved. Amen. And your family. Your family is loved. God bless you. I'm sorry for having you stand for a while. Matthew 26, 75. And I want to say, is your, your, everybody there? Yes. Thank you, Sister Sherry, for reaching out to people and being, yes. you, you reach, you reach. Thank you for that. God bless you. Matthew 26, 75. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, which said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly and he went out and wept bitterly I want to preach to you today after effects of denial after effects of denial you may be seated um, it's so good when you look into the word of the Lord and you realize that that Jesus in everything that he did in the gospels Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and um, it, it, all of these are just the story of Christ. They're just overlapping uh, in the story of Jesus. And in this, we do understand that, that everything that he did was not just happenstance. It was a purpose. Everything in his ministry upon the earth was a part of purpose. And um, there were times that, that he was teaching the disciples and training them and showing him or showing them uh, the way to carry on this gospel after he is gone from the earth. Because he was the Christ of the earth. He was the light. And when he left this earth, death, burial, resurrection, ascending up into the heavens, he left with the disciples the power of that promise in the book of Acts, chapter 2, the gift of the Holy Ghost and the promise of salvation, but he, he gave them that opportunity to be the light. Now they were the light of the world, not because of them, their flesh, but because of the power of the light that was in them. Uh, John the Baptist said, I'm not, you know, I'm not the one, but I'm, I've come to point you to the one 
I've come to point you to the light of the world. And um, that's really what we are here for, and that was what the disciples were trying to understand. But all of this was through a learning process. Everything that they went through, everything they experienced was a learning process to help them to be stronger. And the same thing with Peter in his uh, walk with the Lord when he left his... Um, he left his boat of fishing and followed Jesus with the rest of the disciples. There was, there was a great power there in his life, but there was a lot of rough edges, just like us. We're human. We've got a lot of rough edges. Amen? I, I've got a lot of rough edges. You've got a lot of rough edges. God's working on us. So the struggle is not always bad. There's something we can learn from every struggle. There's something we can learn from those journeys of life and experiences of life. But yet, uh, in our lives, there are times that there's a lot of denying that we're doing wrong. Or we, we can deny we have ever done wrong and convince ourselves that we are right no matter what anybody else says. And sometimes we do, we convince ourselves that we're right and we deny that there's any wrong in our lives. There is in our world much denial, a whole lot of denial in our world and the people of our world. But you know, really what it comes down to, it comes down to that denial is basically trying to protect self. It's trying to protect self push the blame off of us and get it on somebody else and deny that we ever done wrong. Uh, I, I went before a, a job years ago and I went to the service manager that he was interviewing me for a heating and air conditioning job in St. Louis and, and when I sat down with him he asked me a bunch of questions and what I could do and I told him what I could do and, and told him what I, you know, I haven't had a lot of experience with at that time, it was several years ago. And, uh, but then he asked me, he said on the scale from 1 to 10, he said, well, no, he put it from 0 to 100. He said, where do you put yourself as far as uh, your ability to be an installer, a sheet metal man, a sheet metal tenor, a, a service tech? Where do you put your, your uh, uh, percentage from a scale from 0 to 100? And... I, I got to thinking about this, and I, I thought, well, you know, I'm going to be, I want to be completely honest with him, you know. I put myself at that time at a place of 80%. I think I told him 80% or 85%. Um, and he leaned back in his chair, and he looked at me, and he said, I, uh, I'm glad you said 80%. He said, because if you had said 100%, we wouldn't have hired you because there's nobody that is 100%. He said, we're always learning. We're always learning something new, and that's very true. I, I've been in the business for many years, pretty well since, I would say, since I was in fifth grade. My dad got into the business. And I've learned through him through the years, and I've learned a lot. But yet, there are times that we think that we're 100%, and, and, and we're really fooling ourselves. Because there's always room for improvement. There's always room when we come to the house of God. If you ever get to the point where you're 100%, or you might even think you're 110%, Polly, 
uh, where you're, you're 110%, you're, you're beyond that 100%, then you don't even need a pastor, Brother Paul. You, you don't even need a church. You just, you don't even need God. You don't need anything. Now, I know Paul doesn't think that. I'm just teasing with him. But, but you know, the thing about it is if we get to a point where we think that we've got it all figured out, we don't need church. We don't need God. We don't need one another. We don't need anybody. We are on this on our own, and we are we're perfect. That's not the case. That's not the case. Now, I put myself at 99% now. I'm just kidding. Um, I've still got a lot to learn. I've worked on almost everything, and I had a service tech one time. He had been in the business all his life, too, and we got to talking, uh, some of you know him, Eddie Sims, he's a character and a half, and uh, we had such fun together, working together, we laughed and laughed and had great time, and did a lot of great things. Um, but um, I, I know that he knew a whole lot, but he was always lifting other service techs up, telling them, this is one of the best service techs you ever work with. We've worked on so many things. One day, Ed told me, he said, well, you know, as Ed got closer to retirement, he kept saying, you know, why do you want to tax your brain so much? Because we were constantly having, and still today, we're still having to learn something new every day. We've got to keep ourselves educated. We've got to keep up on uh, computer systems that actually run the, com the furnaces and air conditioners. Your thermostat on the wall now is actually like a, a laptop hanging on your wall that you can control everything and you can connect into it with your phone and all of this stuff. Connecting with uh, the internet with it and you can control it. I, I have a thermostat uh, in, at, a, at a, a house that uh, was my parents in Springfield, Missouri and it's now me and my brothers and Branson area, and I could actually control the thermostat there, and I could change the temperature. I could turn it off. I could turn it on. When my brother's there staying, I could turn it up and down and make him crazy. <laughs> I did that one time just to see what he would do. I don't even know if he realized it, and I had to tell him. But you see, when, when you get, he asked me, my friend, he asked me, why do you want to tax your brain so much? Learning all this new stuff. I said, because if I'm going to be a service technician, HVAC service technician, I want to be able to work on everything. Everything. Anything and everything. And they call on me, I want to be able to work on it. And there's been times you had to just dive in head first and, um, and, and, and do the work and learn it as you go. And in through you know classes and things like that, but you see there is a lot of denial in our world that you've got it perfectly figured out. You don't have it perfectly figured out. You don't. There's a lot we can still learn, and there's a lot of denial covering up things and denial of protecting self, pass, passing the blame off on somebody else. You know, uh, there was a, an article that was written, uh, and, it, and it goes like this, uh, about denial. You don't go look at where it happened, said Scott Goodyear, who starts 33rd, speaking of race car drivers who have been killed in crashes in the Indianapolis 500. He was racing, Scott Goodyear was, in the race, and he started at 33rd. But he said, you know, you just don't go looking uh, to where it happened, where someone was killed on this track. 
you don't watch the films of it on television. You don't deal with it. You pretend it never happened. The speedway operation itself encourages this approach. As soon as the track closes the day of an accident, a crew heads out to paint over the spot where the car hit the wall. It's in denial. Through the years, a driver has never been pronounced dead at the racetrack. A trip to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Racing Museum located inside the 2.5 mile oval has no memorial to the 40 drivers who have lost their lives here. Nowhere is there even a mention of the 40 drivers that have lost their life at the Indianapolis 500. And it's because they're in denial. It's because of a protection of trying to protect them from a bad reputation or protect them from the negative or protect them from whatever. It's, it's in denial. They cover it up. They cover it up. They paint over it. It's denial to protect self. And we do that at times too in our lives. People even in our world do that all the time, denying, 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 trying to cover and trying to protect and trying to defend self whether it hurts somebody else or not. But when we look in the Bible at this story, we, we, when you look at the life of Peter, Peter was quite a character of a disciple. Peter had some unusual ways about him. He had a drive to him that was, was so strong, he wanted to be right in the middle of things. Have you ever dealt with people like that? Maybe you are one of those. You want to be right up front. I, I know that uh, um, the, because of the times, they changed things and you got a seat number now, but I remember in the past, people would stand at the door and, when, and they had a certain time to open the door and I talked to the usher this time and he said, you know, I, I miss those days where we would have to open the door and you had to go in and get your seat wherever it was at. Because he said, I saw so many things, and I reminded him, and he remembered this, of a lady that kept working her way up. These are apostolic Pentecostals. Working her way up to the door. And they had a, they had a uh, zip tie on the door. And, and um, as soon as it was 6 o'clock, they would clip that zip tie. Open the door. But thing was, the doors went this way, and everybody's standing there ready to push through and I remember watching this lady many times. She would run as fast as she could down the aisle and her shoes were flying all the way uh, into the seats as she ran down the aisle and leaped onto the chair that she wanted or, or a few chairs she wanted there because we just wanted to get up front. We just wanted to get where the action is. Sad case to this year, we were on the back seat under the overhang in the very back seat. You could have did anything you wanted back there. Nobody would have known what we had done. We, we, we stayed there because that was our assigned seat until a friend of ours said there are four seats up front that has been open all week. And we decided we're going to take a chance. We went up the last services of the day and got in those seats up closer to the front and every time someone would walk down the aisle and look down the aisle I was thinking oh no we got their seat 
but they would go on down the line. You see, we just wanted to be up front. We just, you know, we just wanted to be right there where the action is. It's tough. It's tough when you're not right there where the glories seem to, I mean, we felt the Holy Ghost in the back of it. But there's something special about just wanting to get where, you, the, where the action is. And that's where Peter was. Matter of fact, to end the story about the lady that her shoes went flying off, she would put her stuff down on the seats and then she would go back and pick her shoes up and go back up and put her shoes on. I think there's some in his, this building today that would be just like that. Because we're hungry. We're thirsty for a drink from the well of living water. But Peter's character was like that. Peter was, was he had to be right where the action was. He would be bored if he, if he didn't get right where the action was. Peter was involved in everything that Jesus did. He found himself trying to get as close to him as he could. He wanted to even lay his, his head upon his chest. He wanted, to, he wanted to be right there where Jesus was. He wanted to be as close as he could. If it required him working around others to get near him, that's what he would do. He said to Jesus one day when, he was, when Jesus was getting ready to wash the feet, it says in John 13, 8 and 9, but Peter said Jesus was going to wash all of the disciples' feet. But Peter was thinking, you know, I don't want Jesus washing my feet. I need to be washing his feet. And Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet, Jesus. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, and I love this, this is Peter's character. He said, okay. He said, okay. Then not just my feet, but also my hands and my head. That's Peter. Hey, let's go all in and let's go a little bit beyond uh, you know, I guess Peter felt like that if he gave everything and even more, he didn't want to, to be disrespectful to, to Jesus. He didn't want him getting down and, you know, he knew who he was. he was. He was God in flesh. He didn't want him getting down and washing his dirty feet. But when Jesus said, if you don't let me wash your feet, you have no part of me, then he said, I'm all in. Not just my feet, but my hands and my head. That's the character of Peter. So, Peter would defend him to the end. He even said, Jesus, I'll defend you. He even got to the point when they came to get him after that time of prayer uh, in the garden and he cut off Malchus's ear trying to fight for Jesus. And Jesus simply just... I'm sure there's times that Jesus laughed at Peter. I, I remember when me and my wife were teaching AC school there were times that, and I was teaching the junior high and the high school, and I remember sometimes those guys in the class were so funny, but there was no way I could let them know how funny it was. Is that right, Austin? You've been in AC school. I couldn't let them know how funny they were, but when I got away from them, I was chuckling under my, under my breath. That was funny. I think I told you once before, one guy put his flag up and said, uh, he, I came over and I said, hey, Dan, what you need? He said, uh, he said, I bet you can't do this. And he looks up and points at his nose and he had a Kleenex packed up his nose. And I said, you're right, I can't do that and I'm telling you, you better get it out of your nose right now. 
fun times, fun times. But Jesus probably laughed at Peter many times. But Jesus just put Malchus's ear back on, healed it. That right there should have been enough to say that Jesus was the Almighty. And Peter, he would go to extremes for Jesus. To extremes. Matter of fact, in the book of Matthew 16, 13 through 19, everything that Jesus was doing for Peter was a process of helping him to grow, to be ready to fulfill the calling and, and the work of reaching out and winning souls that he needed to be in. It was all a process. There were some ups, there were some downs. But in Matthew 16, 13 through 19, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea, Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they began to give some thoughts here. They said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, But whom do ye say that I am? And of course, Peter spoke up. Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee, as he began to point some things out to Peter, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Jesus was shaping a man that had great desire but had great struggle. But he saw the potential in it. He was shaping him and then, of course, there was a time that Jesus said to him that you're going to deny me, Peter, three times before the cock crows. In Matthew 26, 69 through 75, now Peter sat without in the palace, and this is when they, they took Jesus, and they took him to, to judge him, they took him to the high priest, and they were wanting to crucify him. And Peter followed along. And when Peter sat without in the palace and a damsel came unto him saying, Thou also was with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied before them all saying, I know not what thou sayest. He lied. He lied to him. He was in the mode of denial protecting himself. 71 verse, And when he was gone out into the porch amid maid or another maid saw him and said unto them that were there, this fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. He lied again. And after a while came unto him they that stood by and said, Peter, surely thou also art one of them, for thy speech bereath thee. Then began he to curse and to swear and the old sailor language began to come back into his mouth and he began to curse and he began to cry out denial, 
denial, denial, trying to protect himself. He denied with an oath, I don't know the man. And after a while came into him that other woman. Your, your speech, it, as the Bible says here, you can see it, bereath thee. It gives you away. He began to curse and swear, I know not the man. And immediately the cock crew. And all of a sudden, what came back to Peter was all of the things that Jesus said. You're going to deny me, Peter. You're going to deny me three times before the cock crows. And it came back to him of grief. What did I do? And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, which said unto him before the cock crow, Thou shalt deny me thrice. And then what happened to Peter? And he went out and wept bitterly. It was hurting his soul. The one that he loved, he denied. At one time he would have went to the far lengths to fight for him. He cut Malchus's ear off. He would have he would have died for him, but yet he began to go in the mode of denial to protect himself for fear that they would possibly crucify him also. Of course, history proves that he was crucified years later, but he didn't feel worthy to be crucified like Jesus. So evidently they crucified him upside down. Crucified him. But when this happened... And Peter remembered the word of Jesus. And the cock crowed. And he denied him thrice. And another gospel in the book of Luke 22, 61 and 62, a very difficult situation happened to Peter and it will probably pierce through the very core of our soul when we denied the Lord that we loved. It says here in the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. The eye contact with Jesus. I can't even imagine what Peter felt. He probably felt like just melting right there, that all hope is gone. It's lost. That eye contact with Jesus. But I believe that the eye contact that Jesus gave to Peter that day was not to, to uh, destroy him. It was to let him know, do you remember what I said? It's all about, I'm trying to get you to a place where you can be used of me to reach out and to minister to the world with this gospel message of ministering to people's souls, reaching the lost. But what happened through the weeping bitterly, that time of, of weeping bitterly and the time that he was back with Jesus again in the, and also in the upper room, what happened during that time frame? We don't have a lot of history of the Bible that says, spells it out, but I can only imagine what Peter was going through because I know what people go through and I know what I have ever been through where maybe I made a mistake or you made a mistake and we just felt like we were, we were just, everything's lost. No hope anymore. No hope anymore. 
He couldn't believe he denied Jesus, I'm sure. I can't believe that I did this. How many times have we beat ourselves up because I just can't believe that I did that. He was evidently in hiding for guilt because it, he didn't really appear after that that we know of in the Bible other than that he was one of those that ran to the tomb when they came back and, and, and it was said that, uh, uh, you know, tell Peter, tell Peter, body's gone. He ran to the tomb. He just couldn't believe, though, in that weeping bitterly time in his life of how he felt, the struggle that he felt. It was a critical time because in that time could have been a time for him to just throw it all away. He might have even had thoughts of throwing it all away, ending all of this this commitment to Jesus, giving it all up, saying the end of this. It was a time of weeping bitterly. He, he, he had a lot of things going through his mind. He was in hiding for guilt. Sometimes we hide in guilt. Where was he? What was he doing from the denial till Jesus' death on the cross? Did he show up at the crucifixion? There's no record that Peter showed up, the only ones I find here, and maybe there's more possibly, but it was Mary, the mother of Jesus, and John. Where were the rest of the disciples? Where was Peter? He was grieving somewhere. He was guilty somewhere. He was weeping bitterly. He was struggling in his life. He was in a place of, of, of great struggle. Was he beating himself up over denying the one he fought for and loved? Yes, he was. He was a human like the rest of us. I can only feel what Peter was feeling during that time of weeping bitterly because he made a major mistake. Did he feel Jesus was, would have nothing to do with him? The shame, the condemnation? Oh, I'm sure he felt that. As he remembers, I'm sure he never forgot when Jesus was there in the, in the, uh, before the high priest and he denied Jesus three times and Jesus turned and looked at him. I'm sure he never forgot the eye contact with Jesus. Yes, he felt shame. Yes, he felt condemned. You know, but that's exactly where Satan wants us after we fail. He wants us to stay there, constant bitterly weeping, constantly thinking that there's no hope, constantly thinking that, that there is no possible way that Jesus would ever want me back and forgive me for what I've done. Here, he, he, he actually denied God in flesh, creator of the world in flesh. But that's where Satan wants us. He wants us to live in failure. He wants us to live in struggle. Thoughts of, will our relationship ever be the same with Jesus? I can't stand the thought of letting him down. I, I, I don't even want to show my face to anyone anymore, especially the disciples or even Jesus. I don't even want to show my face. just want to be by myself just to want to live in a place away from everybody. He wept bitterly. You know what that means, wept bitterly? It means weeping as the sign of pain and grief for the, for the things signified, for the pain and grief. 
and bitterly means violently. He didn't just weep. He, he wept violently because he was crushed inside because of his failure. So what happened in the time between the weeping bitterly and the cross and the resurrection and the ascension? Not a lot is given, but I think Peter pretty well stayed to himself. He wasn't the same Peter that he was before in thinking of wanting to be up front, wanting to get around everybody else, wanting to do this and that. But I want to tell you what Jesus did for Peter. You could look at it as a complete failure. You could look at it as a complete uh, uh, disgust to the Lord that he denied him. The Lord already knew. He already told him he was going to do it. But look what the Lord did. He gave a word to an angel in the book of Mark 16, 4 through 7. And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away. For it was great. That was in front of the, the tomb where Jesus was buried. And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment. And they were frightened. It was an angel. And he saith unto them, Be not afraid. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. He's not here. But listen to what verse 7 says. But go your way, tell his disciples and Peter. Tell his disciples, but make sure you also tell Peter that he goeth before you in Galilee. There shall ye see him as he said unto you. Jesus was shaping his life to make him better. Jesus gave him a special attention to try to get him out of that pit that he was in, weeping bitterly. And he was trying to show him some mercy. Can you imagine what that made Peter feel like? When an angel of the Lord said, tell the disciples and Peter. They went and told him, and he made his way to the tomb. You see, God wanted Peter to know he was reaching for him in forgiveness. What he was trying to say to Peter is you got to learn through the, for, through the weeping bitterly and the denial and the failure you've done, and you got to get up and you got to get going. Again, because I've got something for you to do. You've got to reach souls. You've got to touch lives. But when we feel there is no fixing this. You ever been there? When you feel like that there's no fixing this. If you stay there, that's where Satan wants you to be. But if you turn back to the Lord, when we feel that there is no forgiveness for what we have done wrong, when we feel that there is no hope for what we've done when we've done wrong, I want you to understand in that hour, in that hour of weeping bitterly, 
to the time that he ran to the tomb and it was said, tell Peter also. There was, I'm sure, an uplifting in his heart that the Lord is still concerned about me. He's not writing me off. He is not putting me out. But between the denial and restoration, God is reaching for Peter and God is reaching for you and me between the, the failure, between the denial, between that point of weeping bitterly and that time of restoration, God is reaching for us. Repentance and remorse brings us to that renewed strength. We got to get to the point where we understand that God is not through with us. It doesn't matter what denial, it doesn't matter what failure, it doesn't matter what struggle you're going through, you've got to get back up because what the Lord is saying, tell my disciples but also tell Peter. Because Peter needs to know this. There needs to be a special word that goes to him. He's got to understand this. He's got to understand this. So you see, Jesus specifically reaches for Peter. And John 21, 14 says, this is now the third time. And this is so interesting. So I was reading the scripture, it just, it just kind of hit me here that there was a time that Jesus went back well, after he resurrected out of the tomb and before he ascended up into the heavens, he went back to the disciples in the same kind of scenario that they were in before where they were fishing and, and uh, he asked if they had had any meat. Jesus standing on the shore. And when they finally knew that it was Jesus, the Bible says that Peter jumped out of the boat and swam, didn't even wait for the boat to get to shore. He got his edge back. He got his drive back. Something was happening because that's kind of the way Jesus works. Jesus reaches. He, he's constantly calling our name. He, he doesn't want us to fail. He doesn't want us to, to, to be cast out forever. But here was the same scenario. And then when it came down to the story, when they're on the shore, John 21, 14 through 17, this is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after that he was risen from the dead. So when they had dined, Jesus focused on Peter again. Saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. Verse 16, he saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. And then, verse 17, he saith unto him a third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved at that point because he said unto the Lord the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Do you think it was just do you think it was just a coincidence that Jesus asked him three times? I often thought about this. Why did Jesus ask him three times? It was for three denials. Peter denied Jesus three times through Jesus questioning Peter after 
Peter had denied Jesus three times, but through the, Jesus questioning Peter after his resurrection, Peter affirmed his love to Jesus three times. Jesus allowed Peter to cover each denial with a promise. And that is exactly what he does for us. He doesn't want us to be cast out. He doesn't want us to be destroyed. He doesn't want us to go to a lake of fire. He doesn't want us to go down that path. Uh, and I'm sure it grieves the heart of the Lord that the, the Bible says that broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, but narrow is the way that, that leadeth to life. But I'm sure it grieves God. He doesn't want anybody to have to go to hell. But here he is. He's constantly reaching out for us, and he loves us, and he calls Peter's name. And then he, in this event, he gives him an opportunity to cover each denial, the three denials that he denied Jesus in with a promise I love you God there had to be something something taken out of Peter before he could be effective for God a lot had to be taken out of Peter just like a lot has to be taken out of us before we could be effective for God John 21 it was a time to make up for his denial, for his failure, for his denying the Lord three times. You know what the number seven means? Anybody know? Completion. You know that the number three also connects with the meaning of completion? I'm completing a work in you, Peter. It aggravated him that he had to ask him three times, but the Lord was everything that the Lord does has a purpose. And he was letting him cover those denials so he can move on from that and he could do what he wanted him to do. But you know also, the number three, not only in seven means completeness, but the number three also means maturity. He was maturing and he was getting ready some things in his life. He made his way back to receiving the promise of the Holy Ghost in the upper room. He was with 120. It wasn't about just being by myself anymore and hiding it under the rug and going into denial and living in that place. It had to be a decision of repentance in his life. And, and he joined up with those that were in the upper room and he was one of those that were filled with the power of the Holy Ghost. You see, sin and failure makes you grieve, but God always offers restoration. He wants you to come to a point of restoration. Somehow, uh, somewhere, Peter realized the mercy of God when he realized that the Lord is still giving attention to me he's still reaching for me he's still calling my name he did say that upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it I realize that is the power of the church but he also gave Peter the keys to the kingdom of heaven in Acts 2.38 uh, when, they, when it was talking about repentance and baptism in the name of Jesus Christ and, the, and the receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues. It was the power of the keys to get into the heavens. And he gave it to Peter and he's the one that stood up on the day of Pentecost and preached the message. If he had laid in his weeping bitterly for the rest of his life, he would have been out in the boat somewhere still cursing as he sailed down through the water. Still denying, 
still denying Christ, but the Lord reached out to him and allowed his three denials to be covered by the promises that I love you, God, and he restored him. And he was the one that stood up on the day of Pentecost and preached the message. These are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing but the third hour of the day, but this is that that was spoken by the prophet Joel. But that's where, that's where Peter realized the mercy of God. The mercy of God. You see, when you feel the presence of God reaching and pulling for you after a fail, he is trying to bring you back to his presence. That's how merciful our God is. But Peter preached the greatest message of salvation. It was the message for all the world to hear. And it's not an old, well, it's an old message, yeah. But it's not a message that is not relevant for our day. It is a message that is still as powerful as it ever was. And when we're, if the Lord tarries and we leave this earth, it's still going to be the message that needs to be preached forever and ever and ever for salvation, death, burial, resurrection, repentance, baptism, in the name of Jesus Christ, and filling of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And then the fruit of the Spirit will come into your life as you allow it to grow in your life. You see, Jesus focuses on the broken because he knew Peter needed to be emptied before he could fulfill what God wanted him to fulfill. And that's reaching souls. That's, that's the calling for all of us. The calling for all of us is to reach the lost. But how many times have we denied him? How many times have we failed him? It's possible, and it's not God's will that we sin. It's not God's will. but he was in a better position after he was emptied than he was before. God's calling. God's calling us to a place of repentance. You see, Peter made good choices after that, but he just needed to know that Jesus didn't write him off. God has not written us off. God's still reaching. God's still reaching. God is still reaching. As we stand here today, are you weeping bitterly inside because of the denials and failures of your past? 
God's saying here today as he puts us in that place of Peter. Tell my disciples, but also make sure you tell Peter. Make sure you tell us. Make sure you tell Landmark Worship Center. Make sure that you let them know I'm still here for them. I still love them. I still care for them. Amen. We need to let Jesus cover our failures with mercy, completeness, growth, maturity. He wants us to overcome our failures because he's reaching for us. I know there's so much that God wants us to do. It's not just on the back of the pastor, pastor's wife. But in apostolic ministry, it is a part of the whole body. We're all a part of the body of Christ. We are all needed. We are all important. As you consider the body, the hand, the fingers, the, the, the toes, the foot, the arms, the legs, the head, the heart. It all, it's all important. What would it be like if we didn't have some of those things? It would be very difficult to live. But I'm telling you here today that God is calling us. He's calling our name. He's calling us. Make a decision to repent. And God will take care of the weeping bitterly in your life. The after effects of denial is God reaching, God calling. I'm going to open these altars up here today for us to come and for us to pray. For us to cry out to Him. Look into His eyes today. They're not eyes of of trying to destroy you. They're eyes of trying to bring you to a place of emptying self so that he can work in your life to minister to others. What happened on the, on the day of Pentecost and thereafter, there were thousands of people that were one to the Lord because they emptied themselves and took on God in their life. Let's cry out to him today. Let's cry out to him. Let's pray.